Hello, I'm Tiffany Parks, and this is A Bittersweet Moment with Katie Sewell. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell, and this is your midweek bittersweet moment. And I'm joined today by my father, Dale Sewell. Hi, Dad. Hey, Kate. Nice to be with you, even uh, though we can't actually be in person. We actually live, for those of you who are new listeners, uh, me and my father live, what, maybe a 20-minute, 30-minute drive away at the most, and that's usually because of traffic, not because of distance. But of course, now in these unique times, we're meeting over Skype like everybody else. Yeah. But I love seeing you no matter when, no matter how. <laughs> we'll take what we can get. That's true. <laughs> That's right. Looking forward to giving you a hug at some point. Mm-hmm. But the reason I invited you on the show today is on Monday's episode, we were talking about memory. And I know you listened to the show a few weeks ago. Tiffany was also talking about how much she liked memorizing poetry and was giving us advice how she goes about it. Right. I know that you also like to memorize things, but you use it in sort of a different way than what Tiffany was talking about. Maybe we should start off, though. Recently, you jumped on the family communication system, Marco Polo, and entertained us with a speech that you had been working on memorizing. You want to tell us what you were memorizing? Yeah, I, well, I love Abraham Lincoln, and I've memorized uh, the Gettysburg Address before, and I decided I would memorize the second inaugural address uh, which was, you know, Lincoln gave that address only 40 days before he was assassinated. And I found it actually pretty difficult to memorize. I like to try to memorize exactly word for word, every single word exactly right. That's at least my initial goal. After a while, I don't remember it exactly right, but I still have it in me by then. And he, his language is, it's not archaic, but he chooses different ways of wording things than you would expect today. And so some of it was really difficult, but it's so powerful. And it's about an era, you know, when the nation was in anxiety and suffering. In some ways, it speaks to today. Because I love Abraham Lincoln, I thought I would try it. The other thing I've about Lincoln is, uh, when we're so much more aware today of racism in America than we have been in the past, it's interesting to see what he has to say and how that sheds light or something like that. Well, do you want to give us an example? Obviously, the whole thing took, what, about 15, 20 minutes to perform? Yeah, 15 maybe. Yeah. yeah. So we can't do all of it because this is a mini episode. Yes. But do you want to give us an example of what he sounds like? The first part is really kind of, it will show you how his language is a little different. He starts it by saying, uh, at the second appearing to take the oath of the presidential office, there is less occasion for an extended address than there was at the first. (laughs) (laughs) But that's how he starts it off. But the ending is the part that if people have heard, it's the part they remember. Uh, Of course, this is uh, a month before the Civil War ended. And he says, here's how he ends it. With malice toward none, with charity for all, for firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right, let us strive on to finish the work that we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall have borne the battle 
and for his widow and his orphan to do all that may achieve and cherish a just and a lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. And people have heard that line with malice for none, with charity for all. It always makes me uh, sorry that Lincoln didn't live through a second term because I think the nation might have been better off. Yeah. So going back to the larger idea of memorization, mm-hmm. Tiffany talked a lot about the rhythm. And if you're just starting out, it's much easier if you can pick a poem where the person has a, a rhythm and a rhyme to it that makes it easier to see what's coming. Yes. But with something like that, where it's someone in their own particular writing, in their own particular language, writing a speech, how do you go about memorizing something like that? First of all, I think Tiffany is really right. Like, you know, I memorized The Raven, which is, I think, 19 stanzas of six lines each and full of alliterative words. But that is so easy to remember now that I have memorized it. And I think that's generally true of poetry that has a rhythm and a rhyme to it. I print it out. It depends on how long it is. The um, second inaugural address was almost a full page. And then I just start working on it. I start with the first line and I try to get that absolutely right. And then I go on to the next and the next. And I have to keep reviewing. And I think it took at least three weeks of working on it every once in a while to get the uh, second inaugural address pretty much exactly right. I still stumble over a few things because he uses an unexpected word or word we wouldn't use sometimes. Like there was a phrase about uh, the great contest that still engages a nation's attention and grosses a nation's energy or something like that. Some words are just, you have to go over them and over them. And I get to a point where I finally start marking it up. So I'll underline a phrase that's difficult for me, or I'll just put a highlight marker on a, a single word, like where he puts in just the word ah, when I wasn't expecting it. I want to say that word, ah, so I mark it. And then I just go over it and over it. I go over it in the daytime. If it's smaller, I'll tape it up to my mirror when I'm shaving. I'll go over it at night when I'm going to bed, you know, saying it to myself. Eventually, to be able to recite it out loud, you have to say it out loud. At least I do. I have to go over it out loud many, many times, so... Everybody can go back and listen to Tiffany explaining her reasons for why she does it. But why do you memorize things like this? I mean, beyond just keeping your brain lively, because a lot of people memorize stuff to just test the powers of their brain. Yeah, I think I've memorized all my life. I think in elementary school, we had to memorize that poem called The Trees or Trees or something like that. Do you ever hear that poem? Not that I remember. It's really not a very good poem. It ends with... uh, Poems are made by fools like me, but only God can make a tree. (laughs) I think, yeah, that was a (laughs) foolish poem. (laughs) But I think I started memorizing just because there were certain words that I liked, certain passages of a book, certain concepts that I like, like John Donne's No Man is an Island, entire of itself. You know, I love that. And I would be attracted to the thought And then I wanted to keep the words, you know, whether I had the book of John Donne's poems or not, I wanted to have the words. 
And so I've done a lot of memorizing just to have the words in me, kind of a part of me. And I find that even if I haven't thought of John Donne's poem in years, I can still get a lot of it. Hmm. I can still get the key, the things that attracted me about that. I still remember those lines. There may be some lines I forget or skip, but the ones that just really spoke to me. And in a way, I think I make who I am or reinforce who I am by having those words in my head. Yeah, that's interesting. Because I mean, I keep a notebook where I write down things that inspired me. But you're right, it would be very different if I could just walk around the neighborhood and think yeah, these thoughts. Exactly. Exactly in their rhythm. I'm out doing yard work and, you know, I'm there by myself. I can say some of these things. And, and some of them are kind of almost life crucial to me. Like um, one that I really like was something that Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote. I think shortly before he was executed by the Nazis at the end of the Second World War, it starts out, Come thou solemnest feast on the road to eternal freedom, death. And it ends with, uh, Long have we sought you freedom, and I forget what he says, in discipline, suffering, and something else. Now that we die in the face of God himself, we behold you. And that's something about death that I... You know, that's important to me to have those kind of thoughts in my head. And as you can see, I don't remember at all. It's only like 10 lines long. And I remember maybe six of them, but they're in there. Yeah, it's the feeling. It's the the words, you know, what they say. And I believe them to be true, but I wouldn't have said them that way myself. I like the way he said it. It's really interesting. This idea that you have that you can forge your own thoughts and how you feel about something by absorbing the words of others. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. sort of like what I go for in my radio career. Because people always, when you're a radio producer every day, they always ask, well, what's your goal? What are you hoping people get out of what you're making? Yeah. And I know that because of radios as a medium, it flows by and it's out the door. It's like a train passing. And so I always used to say what I hope is that I tweak a perspective just enough in a small enough way that, of course, a person has no idea where it ever came from, but they see the world slightly differently. Yeah, I like that. And I have a new thought about why I memorize. I don't want these words that I've read to just pass by and flow on. I want them to stop. I want to keep them. You know, I want them in me. They Otherwise, they would just flow by. Even though I love them, they'd be gone. Yeah. You did that show, again, about memory with the uh, woman. Susan Engel. Uh, she was on the show Monday. Yeah, who was saying about uh, the stories you tell, or the memories become the stories you tell. Well, she was sort of getting at the things you remember fit into the story that you're telling about yourself. Yes, yes. I think memorizing things does that for me. It's a story I'm telling about myself and my understanding of what life is about and where it's going and you know what's beautiful about it and what's wrong about it and things like that. And when I find something that speaks to that, I don't want it to just pass me by. I want it to stay. And memorizing is how I have it stay. That's really inspiring. But you also do memorization that is not as spiritual or poetic as that you sometimes memorize just to see what you can achieve like tiffany i mean tiffany memorizes poems too i'm sure for similar reasons that you're talking about but 
you also memorize things to sort of test, I don't know, more as a game? How would you describe it? Kind of just the challenge of it or, uh, yeah, see if I can do it. Like, for instance, I know that at one time a few years ago, you memorized how to say the alphabet backwards. Yes. Uh, you want to hear the story of that? Sure. <laughs> and we want to hear you say it backwards. Okay. So this is when my grandson, your nephew, was small. He was, I don't know how old he was. He was in his room at night, not going to sleep with the monitor on. And your sister, my daughter, Dana, heard him saying something. And she said, what is he saying? And he was saying the alphabet backward. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how he did it, but I figured if he could do it, I could do it. So the alphabet backward is Z-Y-X-W-V-U-T-S-R-Q-P-O-N-M-L-K-J-I-H-G-F-E-D-C-B-A. <laughs> That's impressive. There you go. Yeah. So what other things like that? Well, I've memorized the books of the Bible in the order they appear, both forward and backward. I used to be able to say them from Revelation backward to Genesis. I couldn't do it right now. For some strange reason, I decided to memorize how many chapters there were in each book of the Bible. So Genesis 50, Exodus 40, Leviticus 37, Numbers 36, Deuteronomy, I forget now. I could do that the whole way from Genesis to Revelation, and I could do it backward from Revelation. Revelation has 22 chapters, and Jude is the next one, has one chapter, and so on. And I could do it the whole way back to Genesis. And then I could do it either with the book of the Bible, Genesis has 50, Exodus has 40, or I could just do 50, 40, 27, 36, 34, 24, 21, 4, <laughs> and backward. Yeah. And that has little use. The only time I ever used knowing how many chapters a book of the Bible has, I went into a community worship service once, a whole bunch of churches gathering together, and a friend of mine was the host, and up on the screen was kind of the order of worship. And I forget which book of the Bible it was, but it was something like uh, Zephaniah chapter six. And I said, Zephaniah has three chapters. <laughs> and everyone looked at you puzzled. Huh? <laughs> well, I, no, I went to the uh, to my friend and said, hey, that's got to be wrong. There's only three <laughs> chapters in Zephaniah. Uh. But it's really, it's mostly just to uh, have an, a mental exercise to do just for the fun of it. I do, you know, I'm old enough now to want to keep my brain working on things. And I should be learning Spanish, but I'm not that disciplined or something. And so I'm just sticking with my love, which is finding things to memorize. Some people who are newer to the show might not remember. You've only been on the show once before, but they may not remember that you are a retired pastor, which yeah. is why it I was gonna makes say, some relative sense that you would uh, memorize the Bible versus, I don't know, how many Shakespeare sonnets there are or something like that. I used to memorize Shakespeare, too. Yeah, though, yeah, you have a deep love of English and at one point thought you would be an English professor, if I remember correctly. Yes. But is there an example in your life besides entertaining yourself and your family with the things that you've memorized, is there a point in your life when you can remember memorization being particularly powerful with other people, with another person? Um, well, I used to, as you know, I used to um, memorize whatever the Bible passage was that I was preaching on, word for word, exact word. Then instead of having someone read the scripture before the sermon or reading it myself, I would just stand up and 
say it. I would say, this is our scripture for today. And I would just say it. And it wasn't a dramatic reading. It was just telling what it said, just saying what it said. And I did that once in a seminar with a small group with the author, Frederick Buechner, who many people love Frederick Buechner's works. And I was scared. I, I loved him and I was a little bit intimidated to have him as my mentor in that small group. But I, I just stood up and told a long passage from Luke chapter one about uh, John the Baptist's father, who was a priest being in the temple, in the holy place, and saw the angel of the Lord standing at the right hand of the altar of incense. And the angel tells him he's gonna have a son. I did it perfectly, which <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> And, and Beekner told the whole class in the next hour how powerful that was. And then he turned to me and said, could you do that for us right now? And I said, no. <laughs> Are you kidding me? You have to get ready to do that. <laughs> so, and I know we're going on too long, but I'll tell you a funny one that you could decide to use or not. In fact, I'll recite it to you. Okay. We're driving to the airport, me and a couple of friends. I think we're going to Vietnam. You may have been in the car, but I don't think you were. And one of the things I've memorized that I dearly love, but don't relate to as much anymore, is the preface to Thomas Wolfe's Look Homeward Angel. And I'm going to tell it to you more or less how I told it to them. Okay? Okay, I'm ready. Okay. A stone, a leaf, an unfound door, of a stone, a leaf, a door, and of all the forgotten faces. Naked and alone, we came into exile. In her dark womb, we did not know our mother's face. From the prison of her flesh, we have come into the unspeakable and incommunicable prison of this earth. Which of us is known as brother? Which of us has looked into his father's heart? Which of us has not been forever prison pent? Which of us is not forever a stranger and alone? O waste of loss in the hot mazes lost on this most weary, unbright cinder lost. Remembering speechlessly, we seek the great forgotten language, the lost lane in, into heaven, a stone, a leaf, an unfound door. Where, when, O oh lost, and by the wind grieved ghost, come back again. <laughs> they were stunned. <laughs> but I still think of that wind grieved ghost. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. And I, I delivered it in that kind of, dramatic manner. And I'm not sure Thomas Wolfe meant it that way. But uh, <laughs> and there was a time in my life when I probably felt like, you know, none of us really know each other. And, but I've moved away from there a little but I still keep it. Once you've memorized it, it's yours forever, I guess. Yeah, that one is. That one's mine forever. That's really interesting. Hopefully you've inspired some people. I, I love that notion. Thanks for coming on the show, Dad. Nice to have you on. Uh, it's nice to see you. It's nice to see you too. Good to be on. <laughs> Hello to all the listeners. Send Katie money. <laughs> and until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. Thanks for joining us. Subscribe to the show if you haven't already. And if you love it, leave us a good review. And please tell all your friends about us. Also, if you have an idea for a bittersweet moment, send it to us by email or voice memo. We're at bittersweetlife@mail.com, Or you can just find us at the contact page at thebittersweetlife.net or on all the social medias 
Just search for The Bittersweet Life.